right, this is gonna be a little bit of a weird one, but I think a very good one. Um, so, it's about a book, Life and Death in Africa by, there you go, same name as me, but this is not my book. This is my dad's book. And it's really good. Very, very under-marketed uh, because we're both useless at any kind of marketing. But it's on Amazon. You know, if you, if, you, if you look for it, you'll find it there. And I just wanted to do a bit of a reading from it because it's a hilarious book. I mean, I've read a lot of books. And I'm not saying this because it's my dad's book. It's, uh, you know, it's certainly not anything that either one of us is going to make any money over or anything like that. But um, I, read, I read the original of this, which is written in what I would call phonetic English. Um, and I was like, Dad, there's no way I can edit this for you. So we gave it to my editor, who, who finished it, corrected it into actually spelled out English. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, she probably lost the world to live because she was a punctilious editor. And after that, I think he broke her. And then I still went through it and I could still correct a few bits myself, um, which was absolutely something that would never happen with this lady. So, like I said, I think he broke her. But... It is very well written, despite what I've just told you. It's very well written. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably read just like half a chapter, and it'll be like a few minutes, but it, it's gonna be worth it. Now, you gotta keep in mind, my dad's a boomer. So the first couple of pages, uh, literally the first two, two pages. Uh, let's see, it starts on page four, five. Yeah, literally the first two pages. Got a little bit of his boomer ideology and whatever, but don't worry about that. Ignore that. Just trust me. Go with it. Um, you know the, and and you got to keep in mind that, you know, I believed that way too for a long time. You know, he's talking about how race shouldn't matter and that sort of stuff. And you know, some people agree, some people disagree. Whatever. Uh, you know, people are all people. Uh, ultimately, race does matter, but not on an individual level. And anyway, let's put the philosophy aside because I promise you there's so many funny stories in here and interesting stuff. And, you know, I know most of this because I was there for the vast majority of it. Um, so I just thought I'd read you a bit because it is funny. But you've got to bear with me for the first couple of pages just because it's a little bit an introduction. But you need the introduction to see what's going on. So this is like the very first chapter. It's like three pages in. James. When I arrived in Lagos for a month or so, I was assigned to the yard to get familiar with materials, orders and transport. Then I was sent on site with one of the company site agents who lived in the flat above mine with his family, so it was convenient. We could travel to the office and back using the same car and the same driver, James. James was the youngest driver in the company, recently employed and on the verge of being fired, but I did not know that then. It was clear that his present boss was not too happy with him. Most of the drivers would not talk much or talk about work. They simply did what they were asked to do. James was different. He would talk about anything, complain about everything and crack jokes. Once, while driving back to the house in the Go Slow, Nigerian term for heavy traffic, a well-dressed, voluptuous woman wearing a European hairstyle wig overtook us on foot, going faster than us stuck in traffic. She turned around and for a few seconds looked at us and smiled. James immediately commented to his boss, an older married man, She's looking at you, master. She loves the color of your wallet. I was expecting hair or eyes. I wanted to laugh, but thought better of it when I saw the annoyed expression of my trainer. 
A few days later, I was given a pickup and James as a driver, and a few weeks later, I was told I would be transferred to Bida for the construction of the new army barracks under the wing of one of the most experienced men in the company, Mr. Vincenzo Valsesia, affectionately called Uncle Vincenzo. Umberto Valsesia, his nephew and yard manager, told me they had to organize a driver for me, as Uncle Vincenzo had his favorite driver for several years and he could not be passed on to me. I said, why don't you give me James? Umberto was surprised. Do you like him? If you are willing to take him, he will be saving his job. We have already given him to three different people and they all rejected him. He's actually serving notice. Why was he rejected? Umberto said they all complained that James was not respectful, he would not listen and he argued about instructions. I like him. He's punctual, he does not complain if we go home late, he drives well and he answers my questions about what I need to know about the work and rules of the company. Umberto agreed that he too, as a yard manager, did not have any complaints about James. He looked after the car and never objected to any assignment. He added that James was just young and the old people did not like his attitude, but he was glad I had a different opinion and James could now keep his work. I never mentioned that conversation to James. The next day I simply asked him if he would come with me to Bida as my permanent driver. He smiled and said, yes, I have no family, but I need the money and you need me. By the way, in Nigeria, expatriates had to have a driver because if you ran over somebody or you killed somebody with a car or whatever, uh, the people in the street would pull you out of the car and kill the driver. And if that was a European, that would be an incident. If it was a local man, that was fine. That's why everybody in the company had to have a driver. It was company policy. I'm just letting you know that. That's not in the book. Um, continuing on. Yes, I have no family, but I need the money and you need me. Why do you need the money if you're alone? And why do, you need, why do I need you? I need the money to buy myself a nice educated wife so I can have clever children like me. And you need me because you need, know nothing about Nigeria. You keep asking questions about everything, even things I do not know, and I am clever. What would you do with one of these other stupid drivers? Point taken. Let's go to Bida. In those days, I did not know Lagos, and I had nothing to send, nobody to send shopping. So I was a permanent guest of the family living in the flat above me. They were really nice people, and not only did they not mind to have me for dinner every evening, they said they enjoyed my company. The wife and her daughter would ask me about my family in Italy and the man of the house would tell me about the work in Lagos and all sorts of stories of incredible events that can occur only in Nigeria. One of the numerous guests of this kind family was also a young man in his 30s, recently married, and after a few glasses of wine he would come up with majestic bullshit. I remember two of the incredible tales. One was that sometimes at night you could find very big toads on the road such toads were so tough that a 25-ton truck blew a tire by running over one of them. I kept quiet out of shyness and respect. The second one was that a white hunter was walking in the bush and came across a cobra. The cobra struck out at his foot, he had heavy boots on, and the cobra just managed to rip off half of his boot, fortunately without scratching the hunter's skin with its poisonous fangs. <laughs> I was so embarrassed <laughs> by, his, by his such hospitality that I did not even know how to repay it at the time. I could not even go out and buy a present because I would get lost in such a chaotic town and I did not have a clue where the shops were. So I decided to ask James if he wouldn't mind accompanying me shopping on my day off. I told him I would pay him for his time. You do not have to pay me. I live alone. To be alone or with you does not make much of a difference. But if you want to pay me, I won't refuse. Due to the fact that I can never sit still and do nothing, the long time spent in traffic drove me mad. So I would make notes for the work the next day or read a book while James was driving. 
That day I was busy reading a book when he stopped the car and said we had arrived at the supermarket. I closed the book, opened the car door to get out and stopped dead in my tracks with my hand on the open door. Three meters away from me, staring straight at me in the eyes, was the biggest man I ever saw. About two meters tall, that was not the shocking part. He wore what was left of a t-shirt, much more holes than cloth, and the rag reached his belly button. I think his hair had not been combed or cut since he was born because his afro was about one meter wide and one and a half meters long. The rest of him was stark naked and his male appendage would have made a giant donkey sexually depressed. <laughs> I burst out. What the hell is that? Nonchalantly, James said, do not worry, master. He is just a madman. And a very big one. Why is he not in a hospital? He's mad, not sick. Do not worry, he's not dangerous. How do you know? If he were dangerous, the people would have already killed him. I got out of the car with the poor crazy soul still looking at me. James explained to me that mad people were considered to be touched by God, at least according to him, and would survive by eating whatever they could find in rubbish bins and from the charity of a few people. However, if they became dangerous and attacked somebody, the crowd would stone or beat them to death. Welcome to Africa number two. <laughs> He talked about his first impression in Africa in the first couple of pages. James, did you see the manhood of that guy? Is it true you black guys all have big ones? Some, not all. Mine is as small as yours. How do you know how big mine is? I know. I saw you pissing in the corner of the yard and I checked. I'm a curious person too, you know. <laughs> I tried to remember when it was that I pissed in the yard as I was not sure if he was pulling my leg or if he was telling me the truth. I soon found out he never lied. He always spoke his mind and that was the main reason people disliked him and also the main reason why I liked and trusted him. We left for Bida with a few trucks and a car. We were short of drivers so I drove the Land Rover with Uncle Vincenzo in the passenger seat who was terrified by my driving all the way from Lagos to Bida, a distance of 1,285 kilometers. We arrived at the river, the bridge had collapsed, the riverbed was dry and the banks were very steep. There was a long line of trucks and cars on the road with no way of knowing when the bridge would at least be temporarily repaired. Then I saw another Land Rover attempting to cross. It was scary to watch, but the guy made it. I said to Uncle Vincenzo, if he made it, so can I. Uncle Vincenzo was not sure, but he also did not want to spend the night or a few nights in the passenger seat of the Land Rover. So he reluctantly agreed. I saw the fear on his face and told him to get out of the car and I would attempt the crossing alone. If I made it, he could follow by crossing the riverbed on foot. He made little resistance to the fact that I was to take the risk alone and I think he was glad to be on firm and solid ground instead of putting his life in the hands of a young and experienced man. We told all the other drivers and assistants I would attempt to cross and if I made it, Mr. Valsese and I would wait for them in Bida. Nobody commented or objected except James who I had nicknamed Donald Duck, because when he got angry or excited, he would speak with a fast squawking voice like the Walt Disney cartoon character. He jumped out of his car and told me he would drive across and I could cross on foot and see that the old man Valsesia did not trip and hurt himself. Nice try. No, I will drive. You might help Mr. Valsesia. If you're all over the car, they will blame me. If you kill yourself, they will blame me. I will drive. No way. I am the boss and I take the responsibility. If you kill yourself on my decision to go across, they will blame me. If I die or smash the car, it's my decision. Nobody to blame. Argument over. But you don't know how to drive. I do. <laughs> I turned my back and got back into the Land Rover. I overheard Uncle Vincenzo telling James, now you've made him cross 
and you will do anything to get to the other side. If anything happens, I will be blamed and you will be fired. You can fire me, even if you're the big boss. My master is the new young white man. See you in Bida. <laughs> no wonder the old folks do not like you, brother. <laughs> I managed to cross the river without any problems. We reached Bida late at night and went to the only hotel in town. It was actually called the guest house. And I'm just going to skip a couple of pages because I want to get to a bit that is... A, now that you've sort of understood a little bit um, about James, um, I want to read you another part that tells you a bit more about this guy. I love James. He was so cool. Um, so my dad used to go hunting a lot and with my mom and um, and James. But now James was a town boy, essentially. He wasn't a bush guy and he, he didn't really like the bush. So here, here's one story that I want to tell you about him. And then you'll see a little bit later why. One day we were walking on a small winding road in a forest. It was after the rainy season and the grass was very high between the trees on both sides of the road. We got nothing that day. Uh, that day and uh, we're walking back to the car. Daniela, that's my mom, and James and I. I was walking already lost in thought of work. The unsuccessful hunt was over and I was no longer paying attention to my surroundings or looking for game when James screamed behind me. I turned around and saw him crouching, pointing in front of me. I turned to look at where he was pointing and saw the longest green mamba, the most poisonous snake in Nigeria, crossing our path. I shot two fast shots with my double barrel shotgun. I had buckshot in both cartridges, not ideal to shoot at snakes, since the cartridge propels nine buck pellets that separate into a wide pattern a few meters out of the barrel. They're very deadly for a man who charges you with an axe at close range or a charging wounded leopard, but the chance of hitting a snake even a few meters is very slim. However, that snake was not lucky. One of the pellets caught it in the middle of the body and broke its spine. I rushed there and called out to James to bring me the machete, which he was carrying. James stood frozen on the same spot. I kept calling, James, bring the machete, bring the machete, but there was no response. I did not want to reload the shotgun and waste precious ammunition, and finally Daniela took the machete away from the frozen James and brought it to me. The mamba had raised its head about a meter above the ground, ready to strike. I stood back, and when the mamba lowered the head and the rest of its body to the ground, trying to get away, I chopped its head off with the machete. We took the snake to the car. It was meat, and most of the workers were snake eaters. On the way back, James did not say a word, and neither did I. I could see he was upset, and I was too, as I felt he had let me down. I thought he was a coward. I soon became ashamed of that thought. I found out that James was never in a fight because he was smart enough to know that in a fight you just hurt somebody, get hurt, or both, and mainly just to show how macho you are. James had already told me he had avoided the war because his mother convinced the authorities that he was underage. He was born in the bush and had no birth certificate. All false, of course, but with some sympathy from the people in charge and the help of some cash to the right people, James avoided that horrible experience and was glad. As much as me, he hated the war and would never discuss it, and James was very argumentative, but never aggressive. I was young, hot-headed, overly macho, and very aggressive, the typical image of a modern caveman, and I interpreted his wisdom as weakness, how wrong I was. The very next day, James came to pick me up at the house as usual. For a while, he was sad and thoughtful, then he started talking softly, almost whispering. I'm sorry about yesterday, master. I'm afraid of snakes, very afraid. I cannot go near them. That is why I was so cross with you when I found out you were hunting them in the foundations early in the morning so that the bricklayers and assistants didn't get bitten. The people admire you for that and respect you, but I'm afraid that one day you will get bitten, you will die and I will be fired, or will leave the job anyway since nobody likes me and I do not like them. I can and will work only with you. 
After a short pause, he went on. When I was a kid, I had an older brother, only one. He used to look after me when mum was at the work, but on weekends he would go into the bush alone to hunt small animals. He was a kid, but he liked hunting, like you. One day he came back to the village from the nearby bush and collapsed onto the ground. Afterwards, he told us he saw a big bush rat getting into a hole in an old termite mound. He rushed there and stuck his hand into the hole, hoping to catch the rat. But in the hole was a snake that bit him. My brother died that very night. That is why I could not talk or bring the machete to you. I am sorry, master. There is nothing to be sorry about. I am sorry. I did not know you had a phobia of snakes. What is a phobia? It is an exaggerated fear of something that traumatized you as a child. Sometimes there is no explanation. People may be afraid of something and nothing can help them to overcome such fear. You have a good reason for your phobia, at least. But you have no phobias. You fear nothing. And one day you will get killed by a snake or some madman that you try to separate in a fight or by the baboons that killed that Englishman. You're wrong, James. Not that I may be killed, but I have no fear. I have many fears and a few phobias. I'm afraid of spiders, which is silly since they're much less dangerous than scorpions. I find them repulsive and I do not know why. To overcome my fear, I kill them by throwing a shoe at them from a distance if possible. I'm also claustrophobic, afraid of closed spaces. I could never work in a mine. I would go crazy. I could see he felt better. At lunchtime I went back home and asked Daniela if she had given the snake to anyone. She said no, she actually had taken it out of the fridge so I could give it to someone before the maid saw it and ran to tell Uncle Vincenzo we had a snake in the fridge. You know the old man would never eat here again. <laughs> she gave me the snake and I took it outside and asked Aldo, the smallest of my sons, who was three years old, if he wanted to hold the snake while I took pictures. He said no problem. Then asked James if he wouldn't mind holding the snake with Aldo since James, seeing Aldo was already holding the neck of the snake, walked over and got hold of the tail. They lifted the snake off the ground and I took the picture. I treasured that photo for many years. Today I do not know where it is and my heart bleeds thinking that photo could have been included in this book somewhere. I thanked James for holding the snake and told him I would give it to somebody that afternoon if you don't mind me putting it in the back of the car. He said, no, give it to me now. I'm going to sell it to somebody. I need the cash and this one has no head. I have no phobia of this one now. Left the house with a smile and the snake on his hand, rolled up like a hose. James' fear and courage came to light not much later. When I was discharged from the hospital as a junkie, thanks to the massive doses of morphine, I was administered and after several crises of withdrawal symptoms. Uh, here's a little story that I think he told uh, somewhere else in the book. But basically, my dad fell on uh, in a construction site. He fell on top of a metal bar that went nearly through his whole body and he just caught it before it went through his neck and pulled himself out and he was in a Nigerian hospital for months where they basically just gave him morphine for like months at a time and he didn't die weirdly enough didn't get an infection didn't die recovered but and he didn't know what the injections were either but he was basically a morphine junkie but he didn't know and the doctor didn't tell him because he he knew that if he told him my dad would have carried on being a junkie because he would have gone looking for the morphine anyway um Uh, so after he was, uh, he had several crises of withdrawal symptoms, Uncle Valsesia insisted I should go to, the Lagos, to Lagos for a medical checkup, as nobody knew what my problem was. I left with James and arrived in Lagos late at night. And on the way, James was trying to lift my spirits, talking about this and that. But I was down morally and physically. James kept telling me not to worry, all would be fine. He would take me to the doctors in the best hospital in Lagos. The company had already organized the appointment for the next morning. How do you know? I asked. I listened to Mr. Valsesia on the radio talking to his nephew. I know everything, time, name of doctor, place, where the hospital is, what would you do without me? 
In the meantime, he forgot to stop at the stop sign and a cop jumped in front of our car and stopped us. James immediately started to argue with the policeman. Nobody was coming from the other side. The stop sign is skew and rusted. You cannot see it properly. We're in a hurry. My master is very sick and I need to take him to the hospital. All at full Donald Duck tone and speed. The policeman was not happy and in a very authoritative top speed voice told James, you did not stop at the stop sign. You broke the law, so you must pay a fine. Your car can be confiscated and anybody could be in a hurry, but they still have to stop at the stop sign. Give me your driver's license now. James opened his mouth to reply, but I jumped in. The officer is right. You jumped the stop sign. You were going too fast and not paying attention and you could kill both of us driving that way. There's no point in taking me to the hospital if you kill me on the way. As soon as we arrive at the office, I shall fire you. You have no respect for this kind police officer who's trying to do his job and save people's lives, including yours and mine. Apologize to him now and accept whatever punishment he feels fit to give you. James was speechless for the first time since I met him. And the policeman with a surprised and shocked expression said, you agree with me? Yes, of course. You stand here all day in the sun trying to do your job and help people and this man jumped a stop sign and argues with you. I shall fire him. Sir, do not fire him. He turned to James and said, you hear that driver? Listen to your master. Now apologize and go. James said, sorry officer and we left. Three seconds later, Donald Duck was back. Why did you agree with the policeman? I am the driver. I must argue with him. Why did you say you will fire me when we arrive at the office? We're not going to the office. We're going to the flat and tomorrow to the hospital again. You should stick by me, not the police. It was right to treat me like a stupid child in front of that stupid policeman. He was really offended. I said what I said because I did not want to pay your fine and do not want to spend a few hours at the police station because you upset a cop and he confiscates the car. Then we have to call the office to come and help us with another car and you will be in more shit or I have to bribe our way out of the police station and it costs me a lot. Instead, I give you shit and kiss the policeman's ass, makes him so happy that he lets us go without a penny for a fine or a bribe. What would you do without me? It was as if I had smacked him in the face. The joke was on him this time and he fell for it. He thought I was serious when I was talking to the traffic cop and now did not know if he should complain some more or laugh. Finally, he laughed. The next day, um, he came to fetch me very early. I was sick and worried. We drove for a while when all of a sudden I realized that there was no traffic on the road, not a single car. An impossible event in Lagos. James was not talking, another rare event, and was going quite fast, much faster than usual. I asked, what's going on? There are no cars on the road. Is it a holiday or what? No, no holiday. They fired the president today, yesterday. What do you mean? Presidents don't get fired. They fired this one, go on, and he ran away. Then I saw it. An armored car came out of a corner, 50 meters in front of us. James stopped the car and the turret with the cannon swung towards us, but they kept going, swung the turret back and disappeared behind another corner. James waited a few minutes, then started driving towards the hospital again, faster than before. James, there will be no doctors at the hospital. As this is obviously a tense and dangerous situation, everybody is locked up in their house waiting for all hell to break loose or for the knowledge that there will be no bloodshed when the soldiers are finally off the street. Some doctors are at the hospital, the ones that stay in the houses at the hospital. I checked before I came to pick you up. The doctor you have the appointment with is there. I saw him. We're almost there. Millions of people lock themselves in their houses and he goes all the way across town to the hospital to check whether the doctor is there. Then he comes back to fetch me and take me to the hospital. I then realized he actually had balls of steel and a heart of gold. We got to the hospital without any other unpleasant encounters. I got into the waiting room and we waited a very long time. The doctor was alone and had to tend to patients who were in more serious condition than me. 
Towards lunchtime, some nurses started to pitch up. James talked to them and came back to reassure me that the danger was over, there was no fighting in the streets, and people had started to come out of their houses and go to work. Uh, he said, we can drive back safely, there is no danger that I jump a rusted, skewed street sign and we can crash into an armored car and they shoot us with that big gun. I do not like soldiers. I like them even less than traffic cops. James, what about eating? Here, take some money and go and find some food for yourself. What about you? I can't eat. I must do blood tests, x-rays and God knows what else. You did not eat yesterday. You need to eat. Never mind me. Take the money and go eat. You also did not eat yesterday. We drove all day and part of the night and you're not sick. I'm not hungry. When the doctor finishes, we shall both eat. James, please, do not... Oh, uh, sorry, because uh, I'm not hungry. When the doctor finishes, we shall both eat, Master. James, please, please, do not call me Master anymore. I must call you Master. My mother taught me to be respectful. I got this job because of you, and you treat me as well as a friend, so I must be respectful and call you Master. What else could I call you? Use my name, as I call you James. I do not call you Mr. Driver. No, I cannot. Everybody will think I'm disrespectful. Then don't call me anything. Just talk to me without mentioning the word Master. Okay. From that day, he mastered the way of talking to me without calling me master. And funny enough, I also mastered the way of talking to people without mentioning their titles or even their names while still being polite and friendly. Something very handy when you meet somebody after a long time and you've forgotten his or her name. <laughs> My dad and I have that same problem. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, that's just almost part of a chapter. But um, there is another... Uh, here's another funny little one. So this is on another hunting trip. During another hunting trip, it was only the two of us, and we went around some hills through some valleys and got lost. And my dad got lost regularly, and he tells you this in the book as well. I had an idea. Let's climb the highest hill and see if we can find a landmark, a road or a hut, something we can recognize. We climbed the hill without much of a struggle and saw the shine of a corrugated roof down the hill. James said he recognized such a building as the shack of the farmer whose field the baboons raided. It was close to the road where the car was, no more than a kilometer from the field. I wanted to go back the way we came, but James said it was pointless because it was too long a way to go, uh, to go back and that we should go down the hill from the other side straight to the shack so we could not get lost. It was late afternoon and I had no time to lose. He had a point, but my concern was that the hill on that side was all rocks with a few scattered trees growing in the cracks and the way down was almost vertical. A few minutes later, I was stuck. I could not go back up, I could not go down, the only chance was to fall down. I was embarrassed and afraid, hanging on to that smooth rock for dear life, thinking what a stupid way to die. James was a few meters behind me, not in a much better situation. I was stuck lying on my stomach, he was on his back, holding on to a piece of protruding rock. I called out to him, James, I'm in trouble, I can't move and I'm going to fall. The tree, the tree to your right in the crack, can you reach the tree? No, I cannot. The tree was a flimsy thing about two and a half meters to my right. James said, wait for me, I'm coming. He actually stood up on a nearly vertical surface, made two steps forward and dove down onto the tree. He managed to hang on to it. I saw him coming down and was sure he was going to kill himself, but at the last moment he got a firm hold of the tree. It was small, but so was James, shorter and even thinner than me. Then he told me to get to him, saying, from here to the left of the tree, we can make it down, it's not so bad. I can't, James, I'm stuck. Leave the gun and slide towards me, I will catch you. Leave the gun, do you know how much it cost me? I'd rather leave my balls on this fucking rock than my gun. And it doesn't have to do with the money, it's to do with the gun. Then leave your balls and jump. 
You have kids already. I can't leave my balls and come to help you. I have no kids yet. I need my balls. <laughs> Before I could comment on his shitty sense of humor, he added, loosen the belt of the bottom of the stock of the gun. Hold on to the rock with your left, grab the gun by the barrel and whip the, the belt to me. I will grab it and pull you out of there. I managed to do it. How? I do not know, but I managed. James leaned onto the tree with his chest and grabbed the gun belt with both hands and told me to let go of the rock and hang on to the barrel of the gun. I rolled on the rocky surface under him and he pulled me up to the tree. I held onto the tree for dear life and so he was right. On the left side of the tree there was an easier way down and we slowly made it to the bottom. We arrived at the car at sundown and James had not said anything until he started the car. What would you do without me? This time I would have crashed to the bottom of that shitty rocky hill, lost my gun and my balls. No, you would have made a plan. Only I'm clever and made a faster plan. To date, I still think he saved my life, even if he never bragged about it to anybody. And, uh, you know, so th this is just a little bit about um, James, but there are many hilarious stories in, in this thing. There's one part that... Um, uh, that I remember in particular, which was... Um, Oh, well, there's a lot. There's about when he fetches crocodiles out of the river that he shot. And the, honestly, there's there's just it's it's a hilarious book. So, and um, and there was just a few pages of it, but it it really is a a very good read. So, I've been going on for half an hour, so that's a pretty book reading, I guess. There you go, the name again, Life and Death in Africa. It's got the same name as me, but it's not me. Uh, that, there you go, that's my dad at the back. You can see a little bit. There he is. And uh, yeah, he's still in Africa, still kicking strong. So that's it for tonight.